Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in life, whether they be big, small, or anywhere in between. And when we keep those bottled up, it can start to affect us in a negative way. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist, and if for some reason that therapist isn't working out for you, you can switch at any time for no additional charge. Get life's challenges off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Block M to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Block M. All right, welcome to Out of the Blue from the Block M Podcast Network, part of the Fan First Sports Network, a podcast that is more bountiful and nourishing than all of the cereals and legumes grown in the Fertile Crescent. I am Jared Stormer of MazeandBrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, and you Latvian bugling champion. How the hell are you, sir? Great, man. I got the, the 2021 glasses on. We had these for the last few pods of that run. You just couldn't break up the magic and like a good time to bring him back let's go my man has an adult beverage cracked he's got his wwe wrestling goggles on we are in mid-season form ready to talk some michigan football some big 10 football we got a lot to get to in this episode so we will not dilly dally we need to start off with uh, some breaking news that has been kind of still unfolding over the last couple days and this is down the road in east lansing Mel Tucker not officially fired, but suspended as Michigan State's coach, according to Action Network headquarters. Secondary coach Harlan Barnett will be MSU's interim coach, with former coach Mark D'Antonio expected to assist in an undefined role. All of this stems from alleged sexual misconduct that is traced back to Brenda Tracy, who you might know from her work at Michigan. This is a strange developing story. We don't really know how it's going to end right now. Um, you know, we generally like to dance on the graves of Michigan State Spartans here because that's just kind of how their fan base acts. Um, for something like this, I think we need to handle it with a, a little bit more of a delicate approach, particularly till we know all the details of the situation. <clears throat> Exactly. We don't want to have to go back and like redact a bunch of like just great jokes if they're misplaced, like nothing worse than just the misplaced out of context joke. Although we'll get to those later, but um, no, this is a shocking situation. I mean, you asked us, you asked us a week ago, never would have anticipated this. There was no smoke, nothing circling, no rumors anywhere. And then just to have it drop on a Saturday night of college football, the day before NFL football comes out, felt like kind of a news dump. 
But I mean, this is one of the biggest stories in college football, and it's a now a lingering cloud hovering over the program since he's not fired. He's just suspended right now pending the results of the Title IX investigation. So this is going to be drawn out for several weeks, if not months. Yeah, you mentioned the timing of it. This has been ongoing, and from what we can tell and what we've read so far, the university was aware of it. We're performing their own independent investigation. So he was coaching while some people knew about this. Uh, it leaks to the USA Today and comes out, and they try to get out ahead of it, and they release their statement, and that has started the cycle of what we're seeing right now. Um, you know, we'll we'll comment on that when we know a little bit more about when they knew, what they knew, uh, what the specifics of this are um, on surface level. It does not look great, particularly because the uh, accuser here is Brenda Tracy, a survivor of sexual assault. So if things are exactly as the complaints lodged say they are, it's truly heinous and gross. Um, if they're slightly different, it's still heinous and gross. It's uh, it's certainly at the very least, incredible lack of judgment from the guy that's being paid 90 plus million to run your program and set an example. Um, from what I understand, like divorce proceedings between Mel Tucker and his wife are moving forward. So there was at least some type of infidelity. It's a messy, gross, weird situation. Um, I would have been happy just being them on the field and leaving it as is. But I've kind of always thought Mel Tucker was a scumbag since the way he left CU. Um, I, I didn't really have any reason to believe other than that. This is kind of reinforcing that, but we also need to wait and see what comes out about this. Yeah, this whole situation, it just, it sucks for that program, which I mean, they had some momentum building this year. They're two and oh, Noah Kim has taken some strides as a quarterback and now none of that matters. It's just, there's a, a distraction looming before the biggest non-conference game. One of the biggest games of the season on your schedule this weekend with Washington, but everyone's talking about this. Like it's, it's gross all around. There's blame. There's all these uh, word salad uh, lawyer statements coming out on either side. People saying this, people saying that just back and forth. So just a big mess right now. I'm very fortunate. This isn't happening at Michigan and ours was just related to a cheeseburger. Yeah, exactly. It kind of puts things in perspective. Uh, going back to the football perspective here, my guess would be that he's coached his last game at Michigan State. Uh, this is going to be a really tough one to get past. It also kind of gives them an out. I mean, the $95 million was guaranteed unless he was released for conduct unbecoming or conduct detrimental to the yeah, university. Cause. Exactly. Fired for cause. This would certainly uh, trigger that cause and they could get out of what appeared to be a pretty bad deal. So like from a football perspective, I know there is at least one Michigan State fan looking somewhere in the world looking at this and being like, OK, we can get a better coach in there uh, because I mean, I, I wanted him to stick around. I did not think he was a very good head coach. And the timing of this, it's all very bizarre. Like I said, I don't want to say something now and have it look very gross and callous and crass. But I, I think that he's probably done as the head coach of Michigan State, and they're going to look to get somebody better in there. And this is a bag fumbling of all time by Mel Tucker. It's also just degenerate behavior. So if, in fact, it is true. So I don't know. I don't really want to talk about this. We've got actual football to talk about. That Moving I'm on. Moving on, indeed. 
Um, let's talk national storylines. Uh, we're going to get to Michigan, as you could imagine, on this Michigan podcast. We're going to structure it a little differently this week now because we've also got Wolverines in the NFL. So we want to talk about that. So we're going to start up at the top with what we saw nationally, kind of get that out of the way. Then we'll get to Michigan. Um, I think, well, actually, where do you want to start with what you saw nationally? I would say that the, the Texas-Bama game was probably the biggest of the weekend. I would say so. Like, I mean, are you get the Texas is back jokes, but I mean, this team is very formidable and they showed it on the road in Tuscaloosa. Uh, last year, they played Alabama really close. You think if Quinn Ewers didn't go out, they find a way to get the win. They lost 20 to 19 and they look sharp in this game, man. Like the defense was physical, especially in the front seven. The offense was explosive with Steve Sarkeesian. You wonder if there's any just overlap or just how well Sark knows Saban's defense having served as offensive coordinator at Alabama just a few years ago. But regardless of that, this is a huge win for Texas, a big stamp on their resume, and all speed ahead right now for them and like Florida State, who also had a big non-conference win two weeks ago to the playoff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I took Texas in our uh, preseason predictions, not because I was super high on Texas. I mean, uh, but because, you know, they had a starting quarterback returning and there was nobody else in the Big 12 that I look at that I got too excited about. So, yeah, I guess yay, yay for me here on this one. Um, from a big picture standpoint, I would say Quinn Ewers has entered that quarterback three discussion for the upcoming NFL draft very early in this as you and I uh, had our first argument offline about uh, the potential prospects for arguing the wrong sides of an argument mind you (laughs) we had some alcohol in our system so that'll that'll happen (laughs) miscommunications will happen but I would say that right now um, the early three-man race for quarterback number three off the board is JJ McCarthy Quinn Ewers and Michael Penix would you agree with that yeah that's what it see. That's what it seems like right now. Following Caleb Williams and Drake May, it's a loaded, loaded class. It's like we've had a couple yeah. of these in recent history, and it's kind of shocking at the rate it hits. It's normally like you'll see two out of five, or you'll get up to fifty percent to see these guys. But just a ton of different talents as well. Like Michael Penix doesn't play like JJ McCarthy. Drake May doesn't play like Caleb Williams. None of them play like Shadur Sanders. Like there's just a lot to evaluate in this group. And it's going to be really fun to parse through, but it makes for a great year of the last year of the 14 playoff and the last year's college football with the Pac-12 and kind of as we know it. Yeah, I do think this is going to end up being just a legendary type of year. There's so many storylines and Texas being good, good for college football. I've always maintained that while I'll never, you know, full on root for them. It is good to have these bigger programs, Texas and USC operating at a higher level. So Good for Sark. Uh, good for the Texas program. Colorado wins again over Nebraska. Nebraska's quarterback is one of the worst that I've seen. Um, I think we can kind of write them off for this year. I do think uh, Rule is a, a better coach than Scott Frost, yeah. but cupboards are bare there. Colorado wins again. Um, you called out that you know as teams get some tape on this Colorado team who doesn't have a great offensive line in a run game, things are going to get tougher for Shadur Sanders. That was what our argument was about. I'm pretty convinced Shadur Sanders is an NFL quarterback, or at least will be drafted and will give it a go in the NFL. Um, but yeah, Colorado is going to be a fun watch this year. I think seven, eight wins is very much on the table when initially I called them at five wins. So it's been a fun storyline. Now every single fan base that is looking for a coach has mentioned the name Deion Sanders in the last two weeks. 
Yeah, everyone's looking that way. Um, in two weeks, is, is it's a big weekend in college football. You get the Ohio State-Notre Dame game that weekend, yep. and you get Colorado-Oregon, which is a Ooh. massive game. And then you get Colorado-USC the week after. So they're going to roll through Colorado State this weekend, but then it's going to get really good. It's going to be all interesting to watch like their counters as well because – they're also going to have tape on other people. They're going to know they need to make adjustments because they can't run the football right now, need to adjust and do some certain things. So it's going to be awesome to watch Dion in a chess match. That's what I'm really looking forward to. Let's, let's see let's see what you really got now, like equally matched opponents, kind of figure out who you are. You have tape on each other. Like, let's see how it plays. I'm with you. I'm going to try and make it out there for the USC game. Shout out to the Dark Horse Ooh. Bar in Boulder, Colorado. Worked there for four years as a bartender. They have been just lit the last yeah. couple weekends it, it looks like fun so gonna have to make it out there for something um may have to sacrifice a, a michigan game but i go to on average like two a year so get out to boulder while this is hot it, it's not going to be like this forever out in colorado let me just go ahead and say that no it's it's the atmosphere man you want to be a part of it like <clears throat> excuse me i've thought about like just going to lsu alabama games for the same reason just being a part of it and feeling it and what it's like. You can't replicate that anywhere. So, no, good for you, man. Get out there while, while the getting's good. That game's going to be yeah. a shootout. Yeah, I'm with you because, trust me, I'm already forecasting, like, Dion to Texas A&M. I could see it. Like, Dion to the Cowboys. Like, there's he's not ending his career at CU, but uh, I digress. Uh, let's look around the Big Ten from last week. Kind of a quiet week in the Big Ten. Uh, it's going to really start to get more interesting this coming week. But uh, Penn State cruises over Delaware. Uh, Washington State takes down Wisconsin in a fairly entertaining game. Washington State, you were high on them and uh, got me keyed into their quarterback, Ward, who I really liked. That was a fun game. Dog. Yeah, I really like him. Maybe for the Lions in the third round? Huh? Uh, uh, Nebraska goes down to Colorado 36-14, as we mentioned. Iowa, Iowa State. Iowa wins that one in a close one, 20 to 13. Cade Midnamara, excuse me, Cade McNamara comes out after the game and says he's not used to defenses scoring points. I give the floor to you, sir. This is this is just too delicious to pass up. Like all these little pot shots and stuff. At this point, I'm just like, keep them coming. Because if Michigan runs into Iowa in the Big Ten championship, which is likely. They're going to show Cade McNamara defense that scores points with him being the butt of the joke. I cannot wait for this. I don't understand why he thinks it's a good idea to poke the bear when that bear is number two ranked Michigan. And you know, having gone up against who's on that team, that this team is full of some dogs that are going to hear everything that you're saying. And they're going to take it personally. Like, this is not the bear you want to poke, friend. I, I don't get it. I don't understand. Like, it seems like a Nepo baby, like the way that he like calls his dad and is like, oh, dad, I want to move to a new city. Like they're saying they won't give me the job. JJ's better. Like, all right, bro. Like, just go to Iowa and put up your 19 points a game. Be the number 104 ranked offense in the nation and shut up. But <laughs> he wants to talk. So, like, now I think that you and I kind of are on page on the same page as a lot of other Michigan fans. We're like to hell with this guy. Like yeah. what you did is come in and be a game manager. Like could Brandon Peters have done what Cade McNamara did that year, 2021? <clears throat> Absolutely. A thousand yeah. percent. You could have like, 100%. especially when you have Aiden Hutchinson, Josh Ross, Hassan Haskins, all those leaders already in the room. Like Cade was impactful in that, but it's like, if you put Brandon Peters in that situation, like just like the same year Cade was at that time. Yeah. It works out that way. Like 
keep poking the bear. Michigan players aren't responding. But as we heard on Monday morning quarterback last week with DG and Sam Webb, it's like, you know, JJ has that game circled. Like, you know, he wants to ball out for that one. And if this week and the week before is any indication of that, you really just, you don't want these problems. It's not the same JJ. 100%. Yeah. So uh, they scored 20 points in that game, 25 points in their first game, uh, looking extremely unlikely that Brian Ferentz is going to get to the uh, top 85 offenses. So wonderful for them. Uh, Purdue comes out with a win over Virginia Tech. Well fought, hard fought win for Ryan Walters to get their first win. Um, I kind of thought there would be some growing pains, which there are at Purdue, but I'm a little impressed with how quickly he's installed the defense there. Purdue showing me some stuff early on. I don't know if a bowl game is still on the table with how difficult the schedule is going to get, but good win against Virginia Tech last week for Ryan Walters and Purdue. Yeah, Purdue's been very competitive in each game to start, and that's a sign of a good coach. Like, even if you're outmatched or, like, you, there's a, a talent gap that exists, like, the competitive nature he's really instilled there has kind of got some legs to it. You know, you and I both like Devin Mockaby, the back. They're doing some things at quarterback with Hudson Card. So they're a little frisky right now. And, like, even if they're still taking their lumps in certain aspects, with Walters in charge, you trust that defense to come along. And they might maintain the name spoiler makers this year by getting one of the favorites in the Big Ten West. Yeah, they've got Syracuse coming up this week. A win there would go a long way towards getting them towards bowl eligibility. Uh, Michigan State played a team that's known as the Richmond Spiders. Uh, they won 45-14. Noah Kim uh, looked solid again. Um, look, we kind of already touched on what's going on with them. They've got Washington this week. My guess would be we're going to learn everything we need to know about who they actually are. Uh, their biggest concerns are are really not up field right now uh, but they still have those too so we'll, we'll, we'll come back to them unless you wanted to touch on Michigan State no no Kim's progressing but not much you're going to learn from this one nope I'm with you Northwestern got their first win first win on American soil in since two years since 2020 two years or way to go you, 2021, you took sorry. down yeah, there you go. You took down mighty UTEP. They've got Duke next. AJ Henning scored in this one. It was his birthday. I like AJ Henning. Like that's how you transfer. That's yeah. how you do it. You do it with class. Yeah, good for him. Like the way Taylor Upshaw did, the way certain players do, you know, you, you move on. Like it doesn't always work out just like getting swallowed up in the depth, whatever it is. So yeah, I was happy to see AJ Henning score. I'm really rooting for him this season. Maryland struggled a little bit. We've got the mid bowl in, in just a couple weeks here. Can't wait for our mid bowl. Maryland beat Charlotte 38 20. Wasn't necessarily easy. They were in a 14 nothing hole on that. Uh, Tablia Tugavailoa's first pack pass picked off and returned for a score in that game. Uh, he finished with 287, one touchdown, two picks. Look, I mean, this team goes as Talia Tugavailoa goes. And if he has off games, they're going to they're gonna really struggle. Like he has to be excellent in every single game. They won this game because they ran the ball, finally. Like, don't forget, Charlotte is Biff Pogi. It is Ayabi uh, Yoki. It is Nakai Hill Green. He had a TFL in this one, I believe. Um, yeah, so once they started running the ball, like, they started having success. But you know with Josh Gaddis calling the plays, he's always going to favor the pass, always going to favor the big play. Like, that's what he wants to do. And, like, this team just doesn't have the offensive line it had last year. It's missing some of the skill positions. So I just really think they're going to struggle. And, like, again, we have the mid-bowl in a few weeks. You know, we're going to learn nothing from it. But it's going to be an exciting game to watch, I guess. 
Yeah, I don't think they'll be able to run against most of the Big Ten teams, no. which is why I say they'll go as far as Tully Tugavailoa takes Good them. Point. Is because you can run against Charlotte, but that luxury is going to disappear here soon. Uh, they've got Virginia coming up next. Minnesota wins twenty-five to six versus Eastern Michigan. I don't have too much to say about that. They've got at North Carolina next. We'll learn a little bit more about Minnesota. Uh, I would take. I would take North Carolina to cover whatever that is. Rutgers beats Temple 36 to seven. This is, this is we're checking in on. I think Rutgers is going to be frisky for us this year. I think that is an awesome opening big 10 contest. Yeah. I mean, they've given us problems the last two years, especially in the first half. Greg Shiano always has them ready. Whims, it looks improved. I'll be interested to see how he handles Michigan's pass rush and what he can do there. It's easy to look improved when no one's hitting you or in your face. But, no, it's going to be an excellent Big Ten opener. First game of Harbaugh coming back, too. A little extra juice in the building. I'm with you on that one. Indiana beats Indiana State 41-7. to Ohio State fans were loving this, trying to tell me Indiana's a juggernaut. They are not. Indiana State is very bad. Uh, Illinois loses to Kansas. This is a game that I was able to watch. Uh, might be a little bit of a down year for Illinois. I know there yep. were some people. J- Jansen picked Illinois to win the Big Ten West. I don't, I don't necessarily know that they have it. This defense just isn't what it was in years past. They lost a lot of guys to the NFL. Who the hell is going to win the West, though? Uh, I know I picked Wisco. You picked Iowa. Are we still sticking with our, our original choices here? I'm sticking with Iowa for now. Um, do you know who Wisconsin's leading rusher was against Washington State? Well, I'm guessing not Braylon Allen since you're bringing it up. Was it he Tanner was, Mordecai? Tanner Mordecai was second. First was was Ches Malusi had Mm. uh, 12 carries for 49 yards. Braylon Allen had seven carries for 20 yards in this one. Oh, boy. That is not great. I do not understand the uh, philosophy shift there. There was always just going to be a a down year if you're going to shift from power run game to spread offense. And we've kind of talked about it. Like they're still going to distribute the ball similarly. Like there's still going to be quite a few run plays called per game, probably more than 50%. But uh, it's new blocking concepts. It's like getting your offensive line used to zone blocking or, you know, like just totally different assignments and different communications. So that takes time. In this one, it was 40 pass attempts to 29 rushes. Like that's not how Wisconsin has been built. And that's not how this team is built. So like now you're seeing the conflicting ideologies and they're going to have to get this sorted out before big 10 plays. I don't know. When do they play Iowa? Uh, yeah, that'll be the big one here. I mean, that's, should we just call that the mid bowl to be honest? Like, cause that's going to determine it. Who's who's your dark horse right now? Because there has to be a dark horse because all these teams are so close. Um, Is it that's still o- Illinois. That's October fourteenth. Um, I, that's not I that far. yeah, Illinois is one and one. They had a tough game in the first one. Could have lost that. I mean, Minnesota is not good, but they're two and zero. Oh. Like building yeah. a little momentum, you can spring something on North Carolina this week. Take something from that. Like I think they got to be considered in here. Like I don't think they're good mm-hmm. by any means, but like. Pull a game here and there. PJ Flex has done it before. Yeah, he's a good coach. As much mm-hmm. as like we kind of rag on him for being a, a nerd, the dude can coach. And certainly in-season improvements are not impossible. So, yeah, that's yeah. a good dark horse. I'm with you. But it looks like it's between Iowa and Wisconsin right now. But it also looks like nobody really wants this thing. The West is a, a disaster. And, and the Big Ten in general, not great, to be honest, outside of the Big Three. So we'll keep you updated on that. But let's get to some real football shall we let's talk about a team that is near and dear to our heart 
Michigan Wolverines, who beat the UNLV running Rebels 35-7. to The spread before the game was 38 points. Uh, did not cover that spread. We kind of said stay away from that. Uh, let's do a 30,000-foot view here. Uh, I'll start since I'm already speaking. My 30,000-foot view is this is the first win in the history of the program for a blackhead coach. Congratulations to Mike Hart, well-deserving. Jay Harbaugh gets a win. I'm not sure if it's a half a win each. Regardless, in my heart, it's a win for both. Um, you, you come out there and you do what you need to do. This game probably would not look like what you would want it to on the scoreboard, but I would like to reference the running clock. Um, the fact that we don't have Jim Harbaugh there, the proven commodities and stars on offense that you do not want to get hurt. I think that this score makes a, a perfect sense for, for what we went in there and trying to do against UNLV. You get in, you execute your game plan, and you get out. And with that running clock, you're losing an extra drive each time. That drive is being lost to your starters, basically. So games that would usually be 42 to nothing, 42 to three, you're kind of seeing closer to this 35. I, th I think it is a direct result of games being shorter. So all in all, I thought that this was a better overall played game from the Michigan Wolverines, particularly on defense. JJ remains the star of the show though. Yeah. This score isn't indicative of execution. That's one of the biggest things here. Like it was the, the offense, the starting offense and the starting defense were just manhandling this UNLV team. I mean, UNLV didn't cross the 50 yard line till the 10 minute mark of the third quarter. Like, come on, like you can, I maybe you want the score to say it just to feel better, but it doesn't mean anything. It means nothing right now. We saw what we wanted to see from the offense. And like you said it just, just now with JJ McCarthy, like he is in a league of his own with how elite and in, in control he is, has of this offense. He is outstanding right now. He is in a just a different category with the command he has, the presence he has back there. You understand when he's out there, okay, we're going to move the ball. Oh, it's third and 11. Doesn't matter. We're going to move the ball. Run game stalling a little bit. Now he can move the ball again. Red zone execution has been sharp. But again, man, it was the, the JJ and Roman show again as both guys were just on record-setting paces for the program. Yeah, Roman on pace for a crisp 30 touchdowns, so nothing to see here. Let's just assume that's where we end. Uh, this one had Brad Nessler and Gary Danielson on the call. Uh, you know, not young men by any stretch. Maybe lost their fastball, but still have the knuckle, knuckle curve. So it was an enjoyable broadcast. Uh, I like where you said, you want to start defense? We started offense last week, and let's start with uh, with the top, which could either be J.J., or I think the defensive line. So let's start on the defense. And if you're going to talk defense, it has to start with the defensive line. 42 total yards of offense at the half, negative 18 yards rushing when you include the sack yards, five sacks in the first 20 plays. I couldn't tell you who the best player on the defensive line was. Can I just name them all and say please, the unit? Please. Yeah. This is why I'm here. The unit. The unit wins wins the, the game ball for this one. The defensive line was insanely productive. The defensive line was so good. The linebackers didn't even need to be there. Like they finished the plays. They shut down all the running lanes. They were in complete command. And it was very much a team unit. Like they're running so many more games on the line with twists and stunts. And they did it all last season. Like Mason Graham frequently blocked down, just obliterated people. And then Kenneth Grant would peel around. The edges really showed up in this well, but not in terms of like, all the sacks there you'd want to see, but it's like they're doing their job. They're setting the edges. They're setting another person up. They're doing everything just cohesively, and that's why I think this ward is apt for the whole entire defensive line. 
Yeah, we're going to give grades out. Uh, spoiler, this is going to be an A+. They were outstanding. Derek Moore gets the first sack of the year, but then everyone gets involved. It was a group group effort there in the backfield. Uh, Kenneth Grant, I, I got to go to my boy again. I am becoming a convert to the church of Kenneth Grant. In honor of that, let's do the top five grants. Let's do it. At number five, coming in, uh, look, I want to give him room to grow. He's new. This is his first year. He's not even a starter still. Yeah, only, yeah, only two games. Only two games. So we're going to put him here at the back. We're going to put Kenneth Grant at number five. Look, I get it. That's a little low. Let's see what happens. I want to see what he does against Michigan State. What's this guy do later on in the season against Minnesota? He's got room to rise on this. Uh, but if you want to push back and push him above some of these other grants, that's what this is here for. At number four. I got Dr. Grant, Jurassic Park. Dr. Grant, noted archaeologist, adventurer, PhD, author, man of action, once threatened a teenage child with a raptor claw. This is a great grant. It's he also, I mean, the city of San Diego might have some pushback to raise him higher as well, if you remember the Lost World. Uh, Dr. Grant, not in the Lost World. Oh, That's God. Dr. Malcolm. Huh, never mind. Shout out to Dr. Malcolm then. Maybe we should move him down, switch him with Kenneth. You could even save San Diego. What are you doing, Sam Neal? Uh, yeah, Dr. <laughs> Grant at number four. At number three, I've got Grant Hill, seven-time All-Star, five-time, uh, five-team, five-time All-NBA, Hall of Famer, legendary Piston, uh, currently working in some capacity for the U.S. basketball team. Grant Hill, what else needs to be said? I don't know. We might have to move him down. You know, very fragile. Uh, went to Duke. Mm. Um, works for USA Basketball, Duke. who just did not meddle in the FIBA. So, Ooh. might have to move him down here. That's true. All right. So, we're moving him down and Dr. Grant up due to Dylan Brooks taking them out of the medal round. Got it. Yeah. Sorry, Grant Hill. You're just going to have to do better. Uh, at number two, Ulysses S., commanding Ooh. general of the union armies and 18th president of the united states you and i power ranked our presidents that you wouldn't want to fight maybe not a one seed but ulysses s grant a two seed yeah strong two seed war veteran uh just a leader of men you know i think he might be a better coach yeah. than he would be an actual fighter but still got some grit to him i think two's a good ranking good hang probably smoke a cigar with you drink a great beer stories great, great stories. stories yeah seems like he challenge you to an arm wrestling match ulysses s grant uh at number one the best grant of all time i've got Kerry grant the debonair leading man behind north by northwest to catch a thief uh all handsome team just all charisma team i i got Kerry grant at number one in terms of handsomeness i think this is a runaway like on yeah. top of the grants though is he is better than ulysses this is this is where I'll accept some pushback. Ulysses S. Grant did defeat the Southern Armies. So does Cary Grant, Grant have an Oscar? Oh, that's I, I would <laughs> Oscar versus because Ulysses uh, does not have an Oscar. I can tell I can tell you that right now. Um, <laughs> I'm no, also no, of that. no. Uh, Cary Grant has been nominated twice, but he and Ulysses have the same amount of Oscars. I think Ulysses is one. Ulysses, yeah, Ulysses gets it for accepting the surrender at Appomattox. Yeah, I, I unconditional surrender, mind you, unconditional surrender. So, congratulations to Ulysses S. Grant for making it to the <laughs> number one spot on our top five grant list. Um, I know this is a big honor for you. He can't be here to accept this, 
but I know he's honored. Uh, let's move on, shall we? Uh, Kenneth Grant was insane in this game. That was our tribute to Kenneth Grant. Uh, Derek Moore, great for your agenda, getting the first sack there. But really, all agendas were pushed forward in this one. It does look like we have a top three starting to emerge for edge rushers, though, with McGregor, Harrell, who had a monster game. Yep. And uh, yep. Yeah, and then Derek Moore. The, the thing is, too, Michigan's running a lot of, like, beef lineups out there with five along the line of scrimmage. So they in early downs, like, frequently in this game, you saw Chris Jenkins, Mason Graham, and Kenneth Grant out there together, yeah. which is, one, just t- terrifying. That's, a, that's yep. a, lot of, a lot of beef out there. So you've been seeing that with some edges. You've been seeing that look with one edge. But, yeah, those three have really ascended on the outside. You talked about Derek Moore, Jalen Harrell, and um, – Braden McGregor, who played really well today. Like it may not pop mm-hmm. up in a lot of things, but on the rewatch, he does a great job out there. But it was like, it was so funny. You and I were texting during the game and we were like, uh, you know, this person hasn't popped and then they would pop. And then this person hasn't popped and then they would pop. And that just, I mean, speaks to how deep and talented the whole defensive line is. Yeah, I think I texted you like you almost have to play Kenneth Grant. And it's like, well, you're going to what are you going to do? Bench Mason Graham. And then Mason Graham has a play. And you're like, I don't know what to do. We're going to play all three. That's what we're going to (laughs) do. I I said that look early on. I was like, you might have to move Jenkins outside because they're too talented. Um, It's a weird kind of alignment. But Chris Jenkins is talented enough, fast enough, agile enough that he can play some edge rusher for you. And at the end of the day, you don't have to overcomplicate it. Put somebody out there that can beat the man in front of him. All those guys can certainly do that. It is a fascinating defensive line. Even Cam Good had a half uh, TFL on this one. Yeah, it was it was a group effort. It was kind of weird how they divvied up the sacks. Kenneth Grant had one and a half. Um, Jalen Harrell had one and a half. Thought it was a clean two for him. They gave uh, Mason Graham a half sack, Jenkins a half sack. So it was kind of weird. But regardless, all these guys were in there just doing the Lord's work. It's an A-plus for the defensive line. Um, Let's go to the William H. Macy Award for supporting character. The guy that kind of just came in, did his job. He was quiet out there. But then when you go back and rewatch, you're like, hell of a job there in the background. Uh, I'm going to give this to Keyshawn Harris. I think Keyshawn Harris is, I, I like what Keyshawn Harris has done. He's not supposed to be out there. He is supposed to be pretty much resigned as a backup this year, but hasn't given up any big plays, um, has popped a little bit as a tackler. And I don't know, like a lot of it is just like, you haven't messed up kid. Congrats. Like you're getting thrown out there. These are valuable reps for Keyshawn Harris. And I like what I've seen. No, he's been awesome because you suspect he is cornerback number three, technically. Cause I think you and I both have Wallace penciled in at two. And yep. he's been fantastic in this game. He's an elite athlete, was an all-state, very decorated track athlete in the state of Michigan. Uh, went there on a track scholarship, actually, and super fast. But it's just like he's finally putting it all together. And you love seeing these like fifth, six-year guys tie it all together and get on the field. You no, know, very impactful. And I think it's just a level of confidence with him now where it's like you see 36 out there and you're like, yeah, I feel good with that. Yeah, we got to get him out of that 36 number. That is not, not aesthetically pleasing. Not aesthetically pleasing. Uh, anybody you want to mention for quietly doing their job extremely well? Yes, uh, Quentin Johnson. To keep it in the secondary, he was filling in for Makari Page in this one. I could also go Keon Sab here who had a good game. Mm-hmm. But Quentin Johnson, uh, especially on the blitz where it set up the sack with uh, Michael Barrett, Jalen Harrell, and uh, Mason Graham, he does such a good job just doing what he is supposed to do. He doesn't go into business for himself just seeking the sack at a bad angle. He has a little sidestep in there. I'm going to break it down in an article coming later this week, but it's a little nuanced, putting the team first. 
Like he needs the maintained edge contained. So he's rushing the outside arm to force him inside for his teammates. And just to have like a player of Quentin Johnson's stature, you know, hasn't had a lot of big moments at Michigan to just like pass up a sack for the betterment of the team to do his job speaks to the culture of the defense and the entire program. Great call. And again, extremely valuable snaps for Quentin Johnson here early on in this season. I know we all want to see that secondary at full strength, but these are valuable. Uh, the Alvin Mack Award for Ferocity on the Field. This is a reference to the 1989 film. I think it's 89, the program. Uh, I got to give this to Kenneth Grant. I think that he is the scariest guy on this defense when Junior Colson's not just breathing through his nose and, and actually spitting fires from his glands. Uh, Kenneth Grant scares the hell out of me. He was extremely impactful, ferocious, uh, just even his like his hits. I would have to say that's the last guy in the team I would want to be hit by just because of that weight coming down on you. Yeah, that's a tremendous one. We ranked him in the grants already. Uh, I'm going to stay along the defensive line and it's going to be Mason Graham for me. Did a lot of just like washing and setting up teammates um there's a play I, I put it on twitter where he's like triple teamed and he's still got a half sack on the play like he is just playing at a ridiculously high level super physical like we saw last year how good he was at rushing the passer from the interior really putting it all together as a run defender this year as well with those two next to chris jenkins who's the mutant like i mean I, this has to feel like one of the best if not the best defensive tackle room in the country it really does, and it's one of the best at Michigan. It might not feel like it because we don't have a Brandon Graham or an Aiden Hutchinson, but in terms of overall depth, it's right there. I tweeted during the game, it's the best defensive tackle rotation I've ever seen. Yes. I'm going to go ahead and, and stamp that right now. I don't know when it's been this deep. Like, There's a world where Mason Graham has to come off the bench because Kenneth Grant's unplayable. Like, Mason Graham off the bench? What are you, high? Like, It's already insane that Kenneth Grant's coming off the bench. Like wild depth at defensive it's, tackle it's one of those things you're not going to understand the true greatness until they're playing four quarters and i think once people see it and are privy to like that experience it's going to explode yeah i'm with you uh the jurassic park t-rex escapes contain scene uh, i love all the jurassic <laughs> park references today I watched Jurassic Park over the weekend, so we're getting some Jurassic Park <laughs> references in here. But the uh, we agree that the best scene in Jurassic Park is the T-Rex escape, right? I mean, the raptor kitchen scene is close, but T-Rex escape, right? The oh, dude, it's just, oh, it gives me chills thinking about it. Like when yeah. the wires snap. Whew. So damn good. Uh, but the award for best drive by the defense, I'm giving it to back-to-back -back sacks from Jalen Harrell. Um, early on in this game, the defensive line just decided, you know what, but uh, we didn't really show up in week one. Let's remind people who we are. Yeah, that a tremendous pick. Like I'm I'm going to agree with you in that one. It's two of the plays I'm breaking down this week. It was just asserting your dominance, just taking over the game, like didn't need anybody else to do anything. They handled their business. The secondary had one of the easiest days I can ever remember for most of the game because the defensive line was so overwhelmed. It felt like a 2016 game minus the blitzes. Like most of these packages were done with only four rushers. So I think that just, it, that bodes well for the future. But no, that drive was mm -hmm. incredible. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I've, I've really changed and I think, covering this this product with you has changed me that i always watched from the back forward to see like what's going on in the secondary to figure out what's happening you cannot do that with this team if you're watching from the back end forward you're have, gonna have no idea what's happening because they're not getting tested and like if they are getting tested it's like a last 
ditch effort kind of throw. And it's because something happened at the line of scrimmage that you didn't see. So it's changed how I watch football, to be honest, because you have to have your eyes focused on this defensive line. And it's it's still fun. I find a great deal of joy in that, even though I'm always going to be, you know, I'm, I'm going to have my my love for the secondary play. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we will continue on. We'll get into positional grades. We'll move over to the offense. We want to talk a little Lions versus Chiefs, some Wolverines in the NFL. We got a lot for you. We'll be back right after this. All right, we are back and we are righteous men. We are moving through the defense. We wanted to start on the defense this side uh, this time. And I think we ended with the linebackers who you very correctly said didn't really even need to be there, could have taken the week off, but they were there um, and they played well. I mean, I don't have a ton to say about the linebackers because uh, everything was getting cleaned up in front of them. No, Michael Barrett had the one half sack, and I was telling you offline that Derek Moore signals the snap count, raises his arm, and then Michael Barrett creeps up mm. and then times the snap like perfectly. So, I mean, shout out to Jesse Mentor, Mike Elson, the whole coaching staff there. And also, I – I would be remiss if we didn't mention the linebackers taking a step this year also coincides with the return of Chris Partridge. It felt like mm. that really helped this room. Like it felt like there could have been a weak leak on the coaching staff last year and they rectified that. So keep an eye out for the linebackers this year because while they were quiet in this one for the most part, still just very solid and always in position. Yeah. And I don't know if there's anything to take away from it, but like, uh, returning back to the defense, Jesse Minter, not having to focus on the big yep. picture stuff, getting him back where he belongs. I think that the defense looked a lot better this week and uh real test against Bowling Green next week. I expect him to continue to improve. Not a real test, but yeah, it's like a test. real test. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm doing air quotes right now. Uh, Jadon Hood, though, uh, 17 snaps, played better in this game. So that's encouraging to see. Jadon Hood is a guy that eventually we will rely on. So want to see him get some meaningful snaps right now. Yeah, looking uh, to get Jimmy Rolder off of IR as well. Man. Love to see him get some run. Yeah, so far, that's one of our bigger misses of the year. Rolder was one of our guys, but it's early. It's early. I'm not giving up on him by a long shot. Uh, let's move to the secondary where, once again, um, everything was happening at the line of scrimmage. So secondary had a pretty easy day. I did want to touch on the amount of snaps some guys got. Uh, this is obviously not our first team secondary. Um, there was Will Johnson for eight snaps, no Rod Moore. Uh, Makari Page was weird, played week one, didn't really play this week. So this second team, but this is very good snaps, very useful snaps for them. Keon Sab gets 49, Quentin Johnson gets 38, and Keyshawn Harris gets 29. Those are all guys that are going to be part of the secondary of the future. We'll see about Quentin Johnson, but I feel pretty strongly about Sab and Harris. So I like to see them get snaps, but overall, pretty easy day for the secondary. Yeah, really didn't need to do much. I feel great about the depth there. Jair Hill, Zeke Berry, Jaden McBurrows, other players got some valuable reps in. But no, it's like it's one of the position groups that's like the two deep is very, very strong. Uh, Mikey Sainer still had a great pass breakup, finishing a tackle, which I mean, it just it's kind of like his calling card now that he finishes plays that way and always disrupts the ball. You saw it from Keon Sab like last week, clearly learning from Sainer still and how to do that and finish. But no. Not too much takeaway. I would have loved to have seen a turnover from the defense. That would be my only critique on the entire afternoon for the unit. But besides that, I mean, you can't ask for much more from this. Yeah, you and I are pushing for more turnovers. I also have the Michigan defense on our college football fantasy team. So <laughs> Need more. You know, 
for my sake, need a little more on the turnover front. But yeah, that'll be something to keep working on. Uh, let's move over to the offense. We start at the top, as we will continue to do with these breakdowns. That is obviously going to be J.J. McCarthy. He's currently 48 of 55 with five total touchdowns and no picks. He's completing 87% of his passes. He's on a level of quarterback play that if you're my age or younger, you haven't seen at the position at the University of Michigan. It's extremely fun to watch. Uh, the level of difficulty of the throws in this one went up a notch. There was a couple Ooh. of difficult throws in here. Uh, some that I was like, that's an ill-advised throw. Uh, but he has a, a level of zip on that arm and just a live arm to make NFL throws into NFL windows. Uh, I don't really have a, what, what, what's to say about a man that's playing at this level through two games, only six total quarters. He has seven incompletions and five passing touchdowns. Like it's, it's just unbelievable. Like th this is nuts. And it's like, it's not like he's dinking and dunking. Michigan's one of the teams has the most 10 plus yards play in the entire country. Like they're moving the ball down the field. And we saw some runs from McCarthy in this one, just, just two but both very effective just to, you know, get his feet wet a little bit. No, no need to take too many hits, but like, just look so complete, man. It's like, it's very rare when you see a quarterback have this much command of an entire offense. I mean, shout out to Kirk Campbell, shout out to Jim Harbaugh. I mean, this is furthering your quarterback whisper agenda of those articles you wrote this off season. Like he just looks amazing in so far to start the season. Man, I got so much crap for that, too, where they're just like, go oh, quarterback whisper. What about the last couple of years? And I'm like, if you read the article, you'll see it's an incomplete grade. JJ starting to complete that grade. I don't know what else you could possibly want from him. He hasn't even thrown a deep ball yet, like no. a true deep ball. And that's, that's intentional for the end zone. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think that they are waiting to see that, like get his confidence going with these. I mean, it's not even short to intermediate like they're still down the field like you mentioned more than 10 yards these are complicated nfl level throws that's why he's moved up to third or fourth quarterback taken it's going to be hard to surpass caleb williams but could he be the second quarterback taken i think that's possible i think that is possible in terms of 10 plus yards per pass uh michigan is seventh in the country tied for oh. seventh like just this eating up just eating up teams and like, like the teams above them. Um, Michigan has 29 passes of 10 or more yards. Colorado's at six with 33 Vanderbilt and Notre Dame at 34 Washington and Hawaii at 37 and USC is number one on this list. But it's like, you would never think just like watching this game and not paying attention to how many yards they're eating up on these passes. It's wild, man. It's been a ton of fun to watch. This is something that if you've watched Michigan for a long time, or if you haven't watched Michigan for a long time, you haven't seen anything like this. You have not seen a passing game look this crisp. Uh, I can't speak to when it ever looked this crisp. Um, I've watched a lot of Jim Harbaugh highlights and it looked really good, but it just, they weren't passing it as much as they were. That was very much a run heavy offense. And sometimes they would have to let Jim Harbaugh cook this kind of, they're coming into the game like, all right, well, if you're going to give us this, JJ's going to cook. And if we see seven guys in the box, like, Okay, bet we got that. Um, it's it's a different offense almost entirely. You're seeing the distribution of pass and run kind of reflect that. Ton of fun to watch. Uh, while we're on the topic of quarterbacks, I think it's worth touching on the backup situation here because you're idly waltzing along, along oblivious of your own mortality until the brutal reminder that we are no more than flesh-covered meat puppets hits. 
And that's what happens when Jack Tuttle takes a hit on a beautiful read, a beautiful pull, and our third string quarterback comes in and throws an immediate interception. What a reminder of our mortality and how close we are to being a middling team without J.J. McCarthy. So if you want to know what things look like if J.J. McCarthy goes out, Look at the second team offense, which is yet to score any points. Uh, we can get into that here a little bit. I actually want to to pause a minute here and talk about the second team offense in total. But are you worried at all about the backup quarterbacks, the backup unit in case things go south? Uh, if kids are listening, you know, they're in the car driving to school. Just turn it down for a second. I'm going to use profanity. Um, mm-hmm. Like the Indianapolis Colts coach once said, while none of the backups are taking reps in practice. Peyton Manning goes down. We're fucked. And we don't practice fucked. If that happens to JJ, same thing happens to Michigan. The end. That's basically (laughs) it. Uh, But what happens if it's just a game? Gets knocked out for a concussion. Can we get through a game with Jack Tuttle? Uh, With Jack Tuttle, I believe so. I think he can come in and game manage, especially when when the offense is using their full just litany of running plays and attacks and ways to get on the edges and different things they can do. I trust Sharon more to be creative enough to work around that, but it wouldn't be sustainable. Yeah, so some of the concerns I've heard are about the whole second team offense. Well, take into consideration that's like you're dropping down a level, a tier with every single position there. Um, Whereas if JJ were to go out, it would still be first team offensive line. It would still be Blake Corum. It would still be Donovan Edwards. So imagine what Jack Tuttle would look like if he has Blake Corum giving him his everything. And he's like, look, we're going to finish out this Minnesota game for you. I think we could withstand a JJ loss for a Minnesota game or a Nebraska game, Uh, losing JJ for Penn state. We don't have it losing JJ for Ohio state better be better be the Bianca Batuco like forum (laughs) Edwards performance. If that's going to happen. Yeah. Like you said, we don't, we don't manage for that. We don't, talk about that because we would really fall down a tier without JJ. That's just it's, where it is. Yeah. And, th- and this is such a nitpick because like, like you said, like the, the rest of the first team would be out there, like total serviceable enough to get through it. Like you're never going to have the full second team out there. I can't remember having like, man, this second team is not good discussion on any other team, which speaks to how bored we are with dominating UNLV. <laughs> it's like this team it's like throughout, like, yeah, these guys are just getting their reps. They don't play together frequently. You got to rotate things in and out and figure some, uh, things out in the game like situationally you're not with your full offense doing stuff you're not trying to just score you want to get out of the game so like i'm not too worried about it like we can talk about next year next year depending on who stays who goes and all that but like i think there's enough in there that even if like not even just jj like if zach zinter went down put giovanni Hadi in there i feel good about that i like what i saw from some of the young receivers to so slide that person in there like even with barner bredesen like it tied in like getting their feet underneath them like if colson loveland had to miss a little time you feel good about that like there's enough there but yeah of course our entire second team is not super great I'm not shocked by that yeah i agree let's not put uh too much stock in that just be like well we haven't scored at all with the second unit be like well i don't think they're meant to really score we're never going to put our whole second unit in at once in a meaningful game in a meaningful situation um but yeah the quarterback 
port part is worth keeping an eye on. And, and like you mentioned, there alluded to, it is part of the discussion for next year because we're already talking about JJ getting drafted. So what, what does that look like for next year? I'm not quite ready to have those discussions yet. I'm having too much fun with this season, but we'll get there. We will get there. Uh, let's, let's get into the awards here. The William H Macy award for supporting character guy that came in, did his job without much fanfare. I've got a couple names here. Um, I'm going to start with the left side of the line in Carson Barnhart and Keegan, who I think have outperformed the right side of the line. But I, what, when I say that, then I go to the center of the line and I say Drake Nugent. Yes. Drake Nugent, not getting a lot of fanfare, but Drake Nugent is smart. Drake Nugent is athletic. They feel confident with him to like try some stuff with Drake Nugent and put him out there in space and do some stuff. Uh, very impressed with Drake Nugent. So he's going to get my William H. Macy Award. He was one of my two people I wanted to talk about on this. Um, he has been outstanding, like really just getting understanding the system, getting up to speed incredibly fast. I mean, who would have guessed Ladarius Henderson wasn't going to be an impactful guy this year? I mean, everyone was just marking he's going to start, he'll start. I mean, we did the same thing. But today, Sharon Moore confirmed they have their five guys and they're moving forward, like based on tape, based on the film. And if there's somebody I'm going to trust with O-line play, it's Sharon Moore. Um, no, Drake Nugent might be one of my three favorite players on this team because I, I love good offensive line play, and he has just been outstanding. Just even in his growth from East Carolina to UNLV, you can see the steps. And uh, speaking of seeing the steps from game to game, my guy's Tyler Morris. Tyler Morris looked really good in this game. Just came in. You and I, uh, we started the hype train a little bit with him. Like when we like realized, like, hold on now. Like getting it back together last year after missing like the last year of high school with an injury, the high jump background, all the athleticism. It's like Tyler Morris could do something this year. Looks like Ronnie Bell working in the middle of the field, wearing the number eight. Just played really well in this game in terms of a blocker and a receiver. I came away really impressed extremely great first showing for Morris first time we've seen him in a full game and like did he have a bad play did he have a moment where you're like oh that's a miss um, I, I'm still need to go back and look for him on some blocking plays mm -hmm. but when he's the receiver and the targeted receiver he settles into his own quite nicely yes Looks like he's going to be an excellent possession receiver so uh, what I've seen so far Tyler Morris we should be very encouraged about that and yeah I tweeted that out like serious Ronnie Bell vibes not just the number eight but like the way as a young man, he's able to settle into zones and become a little bit of a security blanket for his quarterback. Very encouraging. And, and we kind of needed a third receiver. Like this is actually a big one, to be honest. So I don't want to undersell this. Like Tyler Morris could be a guy for us. Uh, the milk carton award, you, the, the person that's been missing up to this point, you already touched on that. Where is Ladarius Henderson? Um, he was projected to go second round. Uh, this is my biggest miss of the year so far because he did get snaps. He is healthy. He is not part of the rotation on the first team right now. I don't know what that's about. Um, can he come back theoretically or was this I like, think so. transfer? he can come back. Okay. So somebody to keep an eye on. I hope we can keep him around. We know he's talented and it could just take some time, but like, Barnhart has got a hell of a head start. I've been impressed with him. And on the right side, um, I think Miles Hinton seems to be who they prefer over Trente, even though I kind of like Trente a little bit more. Could he work his way back into that competition? Well, those other guys are already, they've outsnapped him by 80 snaps. So that's going to be tough to get to. So Ladarius Henderson, my, my milk carton award. That's a good one. Um, mine is going to be, it's, it's, it's specific. Mine is Cornelius Johnson as a blocker. 
because like on the rewatch, like he made some plays catching the ball again. I mean, he should have scored a touchdown on the reverse. Like CJ, just put your foot in the ground and jump for the love of God. Um, no, just on some of the blocks, just looked a little you know, apathetical, just a little push. And then not much else. Like you got to finish those, especially in this offense. And as Roman Wilson has said numerous times in interviews, no block, no rock. It's like, CJ, you start blocking out there. Maybe the touchdowns will come with it. But uh, need to see more from him uh, in that aspect of the game. And I think Ron Bellamy will get that corrected this week. Yeah, meant to do this for the offense too. My milk carton award for the offense is tight ends as pass catchers. But I think that's going to come. Uh, AJ Barner had a nice catch in this, like the Loveland resurgence is coming, especially oh, yeah. as a, yeah. I mean, as better teams are able to put their number one corner on Roman, the, the Loveland Renaissance is coming. So I'm not too worried about that. Um, let's get to the, I don't want to do the Jurassic park scene again. We've done enough Jurassic park. How about the inception rotating hotel way scene for best drive, uh, for the, for the offense. I think we're both going to have the same one here. So let I got a different one for you. There. Oh, okay. Uh, I've got the opening drive as best yep. drive of the game, but I want to hear yours. No, that's a tremendous pick. You and I love the scripted plays. You could really tell having Sharon more back as the OC, like there was just a little more of some of the old stuff, the, a good duo in the red zone. Just, you know, I was lit up for that one. Um, mine is actually the drive that ended right after they aired the story about one of the players dying on the mm. team who is number 47, who went to high school Great with JJ, who he knows on the very next play, JJ throws Great a 47 yard touchdown, the same number the kid wore, the number JJ had written on his hand. And I don't know if you believe in a higher power, football gods, whatever gods, that was a special moment and really cool to see. That is the winner. That is a great call. <laughs> I had it written down to mention. Uh, this is the place to mention it. How can you not be romantic about football when something yeah. like that happens? That's just incredible. I have to wonder if JJ knew they were 47 yards out. That was incredible. That wins it. Um, you know, the opening drive was great, but also you mentioned it's scripted drives. Mm -hmm. So really your, your first drive should look great, but I just, I liked it. But yeah, that's, that's the winner there. Let's get to positional grades here. Let's start with the quarterback. What, Let's what keep it moving. Here? A plus. Let's keep it moving. This is an A plus. Uh, Checkdowns, tight windows, elegant simplicity, handsome guy that uh, believes in Buddhism. Yeah, A plus. Uh, let's go to the O-line grades. Best individual player on the offensive line. We already mentioned Nugent. Um, I, I want to give some more Barnhart love. I, love I have just, I've been converted to the church of Barnhart. I was like a Henderson guy. I was a Trente Jones guy. Looks like I'm going to be way wrong. It's going to be Barnhart and Hinton. Um, I'm fine with being wrong. I will happily own up to it. Barnhart looks great. But yeah, maybe best overall is Nugent, I, I think. I don't know. There, there are some things like I've seen a lot of complaints about the offensive line, and I thought it was actually really improved from week one to week two. Mm -hmm. UNLV did some interesting things where they would have like their three tech and their edge both come in and hit like the guard. And it kind of disrupted things because Barnhart really wasn't sure like what to do at that time. And you're putting two bodies on Keegan. So you're disrupting timing about the backs and what they're going to do that's going to be corrected. Like that was a nice wrinkle they threw in for this game. Keegan held his own still taking on two defenders and Barnhart is just getting better and better week in and week out. Like he and JJ are so in sync on that side that with terms and speed rushers are coming. I've loved what I've seen from him. And uh, although people are worried about the unit, I just, I preach patience. Like it's coming. I am not worried about the unit. Sharon Moore was back this week and they improved 
improved. They will improve again next week. They will continue to improve. Um, you know, you and I are like kind of eyeing Miles Hinton as like, all right, like, are you going to get there? But like, this takes time. What Olu Olu yeah. with Timmy was able to do last year is actually kind of insane. Yeah. to be honest, like to come in as the center and be able to lead the group and to be able to like understand, to do the, the background homework, to be ready with the playbook and stuff like that. Like you don't see that very often. So this is going to take some time and I'm fine with it taking time. The Ladarius Henderson piece is a little surprising, but miles Hinton being a little slow to come around. Like, yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I think they'll get there. And if he doesn't, Trente Jones is ready. So I am in no way worried about the offensive line. Um, I give them a, a solid B for this game. They're improving. Um, let's go to uh, running backs. Best individual individual player was Blake Corum, but uh, I'd like to hear your take on this. Yeah, I texted you this uh, over the weekend. I said, I think that might be Blake Corum's worst game since Michigan State 2021. And now I'm, I'm saying this not as a slight. This was a almost six yards a carry, three touchdown performance. It's just, it's not the standard he has set for himself. Like he was going down on first contact a lot of the times. He was missing, uh, he was missing bounces to the outside, missing a few cuts. He was kind of indecisive with when to go fast, when to be patient. And from Quorum, you really expect no flaws and to just see some rust, which, I mean, it should be there. I mean, he came back from a devastating injury, didn't take a lot of snaps in the fall camp, as Mike Hart told us in the post game. Quorum was even hard on himself in the post game. Like, it was a rough one for him by his standards, a good one for pretty much everybody else. Braylon Allen would have loved to have this game, but it's like it just speaks to how good of a back he is. And I think he's going to learn, like, watch the tape, learn from this. I think next week we could see Quorum go over 100 for the first time this season. Yeah, I feel like a C is a fine grade for the running backs here. I mean, you still get three touchdowns from Blake Corum. Uh, a lot of those were on the offensive line that duo play you mentioned on drive oh. one like you or i you or i probably could have scooted through there for five um he'll get better i think coming off of an, a knee injury like you watch an nba player coming off of like an ankle or a knee injury it's hard for them to plant and cut and have that decisive nature same thing with football players but sometimes like the contact part of it is what kind of makes them pause for a moment it takes a little bit longer to get used to contact and i think that you know with blake quorum somebody jumps on his back does he trust that knee to be able to carry him like he was last year i think he'll get more trust in that and he will continue to grow but yeah it wasn't his best i think a c is fine donovan edwards um not the start that we expected for no. him i once again i expect him to get better he's looked good in the passing game has missed a couple cuts has missed a couple reads um, also hasn't been able to run through contact like we expect, but it will improve for sure. Um, but I'm not as worried about, I'm not actually not worried about either of these guys, to be <laughs> honest. I think it'll be fine. Everything's going to be fine. That's the thing, man. When you set such a high bar, like any misstep, it's like, oh, wait, what, what's going on? What is this? It's like when you see like, like a great UFC champion, like lose a round in a fight. You're like, that's not supposed to happen. No, no, no. But then they win the other four rounds and they're still the champion. Like it doesn't yeah, matter. You yeah. trust what we've seen with our eyes the last two years. Like don't be concerned. Things are going to take some time. But I do like how much we're seeing the 22, 21 personnel with the two backs back there. I love that especially what it can do to kind of confuse and yeah. conflict the defense. 
Yeah, absolutely. Is it still technically 22 personnel if you line Edwards up as a receiver? Doesn't that change the the technical or do, or is it still You can like, shift him out there. Eight? Still 22. Like it gets weird because like what what do you do if Max Bredesen lines up out wide and comes in as a fullback? Right, cuz we've so, had a lot of those. So does it depend on like what they end up lined up as to determine the personnel grouping? I'd have to get to the football gods and get back to you on that. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> didn't mean to didn't mean to come at you with that one right there. Oh, no, 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 you're like, good. It's it's a good question because I'm not really sure how that like shifts assignments and responsibilities. I know from a defensive perspective, when you're counting receivers and skills, it changes it. But I'm not sure about if it's still 21 or still like 12 or something like that. Because I literally was like, I'm talking to my dad. I'm like, oh, here we go, 21 personnel, and then like uh, Edwards lines up out wide. I'm like, personnel. Uh, here, here we go. Like we've got. We've got a play that we're going to run. I do not know what this is, but this should be awesome. I, I think it would just go off the really the like, I, I feel like more the designation for what they are. Like if he's a running back, it still counts as that. And it's just like an ability to yeah. flex him out there for like a fourth receiver is just a luxury. Yeah. Um, real quick. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but uh, would you like to see a little bit more of the running game? We haven't seen much of the running game at all, to be honest, even with the first team offense, but second team running, um, second team offense, the running back, something that we had really talked about a lot in the off season. Would you like to see a little Kalel Mullings get something going? Would you like to see some Cole Cabana get something going? I mean, that's going to come up at some point. I, I maybe, I mean, it is low on my list, but yeah. I am thinking about it. Yeah, I'd like to see some more Kalel Mulling snaps. Got a few here, nothing too much to write home about, but it's like that's a guy that you you know you're going to need, like you said. So you'd like to see a little bit more. He's at least returning kicks. I mean, he's gotten all of two, but like he's at least had that to be able to do something to get acclimated to the game a little bit. But at least he's had a full fall camp to get to the position. I mean, hell, we saw what he can do with five days of prep last year against Ohio State. So, you know, we'll trust some of the practice behind him at least. I'm with you. Uh, let's move to wide receivers. I give them a solid B plus. You could talk me into an A. I think the Tyler Morris arrival is great, but really Roman Wilson tracking for 30 touchdowns and breaking every receiving record known to man is probably the to uh, the talking point here. First time we've said his name, Roman Wilson. Yeah. Like He's just been insane. That good. The receiver room in general, like you see one, you see the chemistry with JJ, what a full year of practices because JJ didn't have the offseason last year. You see what that can do for a connection, but also just the way the receivers are identifying zones, the way their routes are run. Like they just seem as a group, they've really risen to another level. And Roman Wilson personifies that. Like he's always open, like always finds a way to make space, even in a scramble drill or just in structure. Like he has been outstanding. And I think, again, he's not going to score 30 touchdowns this season, but I think it still could be a record-setting year. Yeah, 30 is a little high. Let's go ahead and high. bump those numbers. Let's go ahead and bump those numbers down. But he needs 19 to beat Desmond Howard's iconic season. I still think that's a little high. But you were mentioning off air, like he could get into that Braylon Edwards. He could get into that um, 15 I mean, second. Yeah, who else was there around that 15? Anthony range? Carter, uh, David Terrell's in there at 14 as well. So, like, you have some of the, I mean, the preeminent receivers in program history is what he is in reach of because of this good start. Yep. And I mean, 
if you finish with that number, we're going to discuss your name amongst the greats. And if this season is a national championship or even another Big Ten championship and playoff appearance, Roman Wilson's starting to enter the conversation. So extremely exciting. Uh, rocking the number one. It's aesthetically pleasing. Tyler Morris looks like a safe, really good option out there. I don't think he had a bad play. Uh, Cornelius Johnson is still Cornelius Johnson. We're still on the apology tour. Um, would like to see a big game out of him, but that time will come, particularly when Roman Wilson has a true number one cornerback yep. that's eventually going to lock him up. We haven't seen that yet. So for now, feast away, my boy feast. Uh, let's go to tight ends who I'm going to give. Well, let's just give a B minus basically a middle of the road grade for this one. AJ Barner played better, uh, looked better as a blocker. They were certainly out there blocking a ton, not really used in the passing game a lot, but in blocking situations, I liked what I saw from Max Bredesen, uh, Colston Loveland on that first play to Blake yes. Corum was able to call. wrap back in and, yep. and seal uh, that outside block, which is a probably a difficult block. I don't know. Yes, I've never is. done that as a tight end. Seems like a difficult block. So what they're doing from a blocking perspective is next level high grade. So a B feels right, but we'd like to see him get involved more as pass catchers. Yeah, and I, I think we will. Actually, I know we will. And what I love what they're doing, especially with Barner and Loveland, is like we both know we we know that both of them are dynamic as pass catchers, but we need to see them get a little more refined as blockers. And this is great experience to do that. So I think they're really just honing in on that deficiency and just working on it, working on it, working on it. It's hard to do in practice. So getting these live reps to get better at that aspect. Because you're not going to forget how to run routes and do what they do. So I think this is a great way to turn both of them into well-rounded options that we're going to see, especially as the season goes on. I love it. Players of the game, what? We're going to go J.J. McCarthy and if you have to pick a player on the defensive Harrell, line. Harrell, maybe. Harrell with the one and a half sacks. All right. Yeah. yeah. We'll go J.J. and Harrell. Oh, we also, um, are we going to talk special teams? Oh, yeah, we absolutely need. I, I apologize. Yeah, we went out of order, so I didn't talk special teams. We definitely need to do that. Uh, let me get my documents in order. Yeah, we start with who popped the most. I've got Tommy Doman as the yes. first guy I want to mention. Let's go. Dude, uh, nukes, nukes. Yeah. Like, that was awesome to see. He looks like an absolute weapon back there. I mean, can really flip the field in tight games this season. And uh, kicker James Turner. Seems to have mm -hmm. fixed the mechanical mistakes. Every extra point, I know you were watching, all of them went straight through. None of the hooks, nothing he dealt with last week. Didn't get to see any field goal attempts, but just seeing the trajectory of the ball drastically change from one game to the next shows that he was aware of the issue. I love it. Uh, we were hoping to get to Wolverines in the NFL this pod. We'll have to do it for the pod later in this week. Uh, but we'll talk about Jake Moody. That's uh, big shoes to fill. But James Turner, I think, settling in. That was really good to see Tommy Doman. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and call my shot now because it's way more enjoyable when you call your shot early, like I did with Shadur Sanders and some other things that I've been wrong about in the past, like Ladarius Henderson. But <laughs> It's more fun when we do it early. I think Tyler Morris is the punt returner by the end of the season. Oh, man. Shots at my Jake Thaw agenda. And not shots. I, not shots at Thaw. Not shots at Thaw. This I said at my agenda. At, at my Jake at, Thaw agenda. Sure. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's me. I mean, if you're going to throw shots, throw them at me. Um, and I hate that I agree. Like, I, what I saw with him in that game late, just a little more explosion, a little more quick twitch. So, I mean, remains to be seen, but... 
he right now, if I was ranking the punt returners I've seen, it would go Tyler Morris, Jake Thaw, Carmelo English. Like that's just yep. from what I've seen. Yeah, we need more tape. We need more data on this for sure. But a yeah. uh, little bit of data is going to go a long way because, you know, I know it's like we got Rutgers coming up, which you might laugh about. But like that jumping competition year in and year out. I mean, we we say it on this pod every single year. We've yes. got to crack the code on this, that that jumping competition usually signifies a closer game, yep. uh, usually signifies Michigan trying to figure some stuff out. So with that coming around, like sometimes a punt return can mean the difference particularly if you can't field it correctly. So it is worth noting, worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, that could also be the first game an opponent scores on our first team defense, which still hasn't happened yet. Has not happened. This is still one of the best defenses and most efficient offenses in the country. If you're finding things to nitpick about, I recommend you go outside. The fall is still <laughs> an awesome time to go outside. I mean, the, the changing of the leaves, there's pumpkin patches you can go to. I mean, look, I did 14 hours of football this weekend, too, but I still found some time to get by the pool, read my book. I was reading about cereals and legumes of the Fertile Crescent. It was a Watch Jurassic Park. Today. Watch Jurassic Park in there. It was great. Yeah, lovely little weekend. Lovely little weekend. I hope the same for all of you. I went to the bar. You know, it was great outside. <laughs> God bless you. I wish I would have been there with you. That is that is how an American spends his time. We will be there soon enough, sir. Beers in hand watching Michigan football. I look forward to that. I look forward to this weekend against Bowling Green, a matchup that we will break down in a podcast soon to come later on this week as we are now doing two podcasts a week y'all are welcome uh just makes sense there's a lot to talk about we can't get it all done in one but that's going to do it for tonight please follow us on twitter we have decided that we're going to actually be active on this it's still twitter i don't care what it's uh, not i'm not i'll never call it yeah. what the other name now well, yeah, that's ridiculous. But I'm at JStorm303. You are at UM Andrew B. You can follow the site at Maze and Brew. Make sure to like, share, subscribe. We'd love, love, love if you gave us a five-star review. Tell us what you like about the podcast. That stuff means a lot for us. Share us, you know, on Twitter. Let your friends know if they're looking for a Michigan podcast. We're trying to grow. This is the year of growth for us, and we would appreciate that. That's going to do it for Out of the Blue. I'm Jared. That's Andy. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue.